And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. So welcome to the Monday edition of The Real Investment Show. Of course, this is also the last week of August. We'll be talking a little bit today about what to expect in September. So far, August has been kind of a sloppy month, so to speak. Um, but, you know, lots of stuff going on. I thought it was interesting over the weekend, uh, AOC, right, uh, from Congress. She was out. She was calling for the banning of a company's new product. Yeah, a company came out with a product. And see, this is capitalism at work. Right, capitalism work. Company, company comes out with a new product, um, and they are selling them out as fast as they can make them. And of course, AOC is now out calling for a ban on this particular item because it's a shot glass with Trump's face on it that says mugshot. And so, so the mugshot is a shot glass with Trump's face on it, and she's calling for the ban of this because it is selling out. Of course, this is raising millions of dollars for the Trump campaign. But I just thought it was hysterical because, I mean, look, people have been super innovative over this whole thing, right? And, you know, it's, it's, this is, you know, everybody talks about how capitalism's broken and capitalism sucks and all this. And, you know, you just have to be a little bit creative. I mean, here's a guy that's sitting around going, hey, I got a bunch of mug gla- uh, shot glasses, right? So I'm going to stick a logo on it that says mug shot with a picture of Trump's face on it. Can't, he can't keep them in stock. They're just selling out as fast. I mean, people are ordering like 10 at a whack. I don't know what you can do with 10 shot glasses in your house, but have a drinking game. The I guess. whole thing is a gold mine. <laughs> I know, but the, the point is, remember the Kafifi mugs? Oh, yeah, I've got one. I know. Yeah. And it just, you know, this is the point about capitalism, right? We, we, everybody wants to complain about capitalism, but there's so many opportunities that people take advantage of, and that's the beautiful thing about capitalism. Come up with an idea, whether it's innovative or just ticks people off or whatever it is, <laughs> but people will buy it. I mean, stupid sayings on T-shirts, right? Come up with a good T-shirt. People will buy it just because they want to wear a stupid T-shirt. People aren't difficult. <laughs> they want to. They want to give you money. <laughs> Go out and create something. Uh, speaking of creating something, yes. right? This is this is the the whole thing. So uh, you know, last week, of course, Nvidia announced earnings, and that was the big news, right? Nvidia, everybody expecting these big earnings, and blowout numbers. And of course, NVIDIA has created a product that basically everybody, that everybody wants right now, particularly in data centers. Interestingly enough though, NVIDIA completely reversed their gains from that morning pop from their earnings and actually sold off into Friday. Now, holding support very importantly, right at the 50 and the 20 day moving average, those two are just sitting right on top of each other. And you do now have a short-term buy signal following that, that kind of that run into earnings last week triggered a short-term buy signal after a fairly decent reversal of that of that sell signal uh, the stocks really but just has been in this big consolidation range now for several months kind of drifting between 400 and 446 sitting right around that area of 460. Um, so again it was just interesting you know here's again back to capitalism you know we want to talk about you know we, we focus when we say capitalism is broken right we focus on these big mega cap companies like apple and microsoft and CEOs and things, uh, NVIDIA doing, you know, the same thing. They started out as a small company. They created a great graphics card for video gaming, saw an opportunity, created a niche, started building GPUs for AI. AI has been around for a decade or more, 
right? Um, but you know, now really kind of becoming a thing thing. And <laughs> NVIDIA has built this fantastic business around that idea and just being in the right time at the right place. That's the beautiful thing about capitalism. Now, capitalism doesn't always work, right, as, as it should. See, capitalism should be a function of winners and losers by those that make a great thing versus those that maybe don't make such a great product. Um, and again, you know, it, it comes down to uh, what, we, what we deem as a problem with capitalism. It's really a problem more with corporatism and really kind of a more of a problem with overall government. Uh, over the weekend, of course, not surprisingly, as we head into the fall, President Biden now asking for supplemental funding for a new vaccine. Now, I think this is interesting because this is coming at a time that, well, you know, companies like Moderna, which after, the, after its peak revenue that it had back in 2020 because of the vaccine that came out, has been suffering sharply. Stock has gone from uh, $500 a share down to $100 a share. It's lost four-fifths of its market cap since that last vaccine. But it's not just, it's not just Moderna, it's also Pfizer. Pfizer capped out at $60 a share back in 2020, now down to $36 a share, more than 50% of its market cap down um, since the last really kind of push for vaccines. So not surprising now, maybe follow the money here because this new supplemental funding for vaccines is gonna be pushed out by the administration. And you have to have this vaccine, even if you've had three other stabs with all the other vaccines, you're gonna to have to have this one too. So just make sure that you follow the money. If you wanna know when to buy Pfizer or Moderna, just watch Nancy Pelosi. So if she starts buying these two stocks, you know the vaccine is coming. But again, now this is where we complain about capitalism not working, right? Here you have companies lobbying the government for a special favor. And this is going to help boost these, these stock prices, of course, make the CEOs of these companies much wealthier, stockholders wealthier as well. But this is, see, this is where we start talking about capitalism not working. And this is when this happens. So, you know, there's always a definition of what capitalism is and isn't. But again, this, these are the things that kind of caught headlines over the weekend. Okay, let's talk a little bit about what you need to know before the bell this morning. Uh, the market, of course, having a very sloppy month so far. In fact, this has been a rare month of August. In fact, during the month of August, the S&P was not able to string together more than two positive days in a row. That's a fair rarity, historically speaking. But again, two things have happened. First of all, the sell signal has gotten pretty oversold here, starting to flatten out and the market kind of basing right here around the 100-day moving average. Uh, relative strength is improving here a bit, suggesting that you get a little bit more push in the markets over the next week or so. But the month of September fast approaching here, and after a pretty weak month of August, we may see a little bit better performance in the month of September as we get ready for that kind of end of year push as we start to go forward. There's certainly some things that could weigh on the markets in the next month. China obviously under a lot of pressure right now from real estate, finance, debt, etc. Uh, that liquidity injections that have been pushing in by China have not really been working. Um, more importantly, kind of keep a watch on the dollar. Dollar has been rallying strongly lately. That's starting to pull some of the strength out of some of the areas that are sensitive to a stronger dollar. Also, keep a watch on interest rates. Interest rates, of course, uh, after the Fed's meeting last week, suggesting that the Fed could hike one more time as we get ready to move into the end of the year. About a 65% chance of another rate hike 
by the Federal Reserve before year end. Now, of course, the long end of the curve has not really been rising, even though the Fed keeps hiking rates on the short end. The long end of the curve has been stuck between about 375 and 425, right around there. Uh, so again, that hasn't really been impacting a lot of that. But on the short term, these higher interest rates are affecting things like credit card payments, et cetera, which are going to start impacting consumers. And of course, as we start talking about weaker retail sales uh, going into the end of the year, if those begin to show a kind of a slowdown um, as we get to the end of the year, that is going to put pressure on some of the other areas of the markets. Uh, you know, Macy's, Dick's, um, uh, Lowe's last week, all kind of hitting the warning bell about a slowdown potentially in consumers. But for right now, though, the S&P remains fine. There's nothing to really be worried about. Uh, watching the sell signal. If the sell signal does turn back into a buy, we can probably increase some exposure here for a bit of a rally uh, into next month. That's what you need to know before the bell this morning. When we come back, lots of stuff to get into. So stick around. More of The Real Investment Show coming right up. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Just picking up a little bit on the events from Friday, of course, uh, Jerome Powell um, at the Jackson Hole Summit coming out, giving a very kind of brief speech. It wasn't a very long speech at all. I was uh, all hunkered down in my office with, you know, six cups of coffee and uh, snacks to make sure I could get through the entire speech. And I barely made it through half a cup of coffee. He was done. Um, but... You know, what was interesting is, and I'm writing an article about this on Friday, is what he said, obviously, and, you know, his ideas about where they're going to from here. And I thought the most interesting thing that occurred in that speech was that he blamed the war on Ukraine <clears throat> as the culprit for inflation. Now, there's certainly some impact from that, but we were in a war with Afghanistan for a decade or more and didn't have surging rates of inflation. From 2008 to 2000 and, and really 20, we didn't have surging rates of inflation, even though we had a war going on the whole time. Yes, there were obviously sanctions, um, et cetera, but you know, when the Trump... Uh, when President Trump was in office, we had an oil surplus. Now we have an oil deficit. We're drawing down on the SPR. And energy prices certainly have an impact on inflation. But how do we measure inflation? Measure inflation by stripping out what? Food and energy. Why? Because prices are volatile. So we look at core inflation, which is exactly where Jerome Powell went. He said, but, you know, we look at core inflation. 
And so he started about core inflation. But my point is, is whether or not the war on Ukraine was an issue or not, as it relates to actual inflation, what he completely obfuscated and left out of his speech was the impact of sending checks to households and a trillion dollars of, you know, $120 billion a month in quantitative easing and repeated bailout programs for banks and all these other things that since spending and over and not to even mention the you know the the moratoriums on rent and which I forgot to put in the article I'm going to go back and edit my article the moratoriums on rent and student loan payments all those moratoriums that led to additional consumer spending that would not have been there otherwise see we didn't talk about any of the impact of the measures that the Federal Reserve took, or the government, right? No acknowledgement of those culprits into higher inflation. Not to mention the government shut down the economy, right? So I thought it was interesting that, you know, in that whole speech, right, there was never a nod given to the actual events and causes that led to the inflationary spike that we had in the economy. Oh, it was the war. Maybe a little. But a lot of it was shutting down the economy and then giving people money to spend. And you have an imbalance between supply and demand. It's simply a function of basic economics. So I thought that was interesting. Anyway, I'm, I'm writing an article about that for Friday. So you go get my full rant on Friday. Um, but, it, you know, at the end of the day, the speech was pretty much a nothing burger. Everything was pretty much as expected. We're going to continue to monitor incoming data. You know, I thought that his closing sentence was one of the most interesting because he says, we're navigating under cloudy skies. Which is pretty much just, you know, a layman's way of saying, we really have no idea what we're doing, but we're doing the best we can with what we have going on which I, I don't think really gave anybody a great vote of confidence that they've got a good handle on what's happening and, and this. And you know, this is always the problem with the Federal Reserve when they're hiking rates because, as he even notes, he says, you know, we run the risk of doing too little or too much. Well, if, you, if you're navigating under cloudy skies, you really don't have a handle on what you're doing, then how do you know if you're going to over-tighten or under-tighten? So if you don't know really where this ends, just over-tighten until you break something because at least then you know where to stop, right? This is kind of, this is kind of what he's saying. We're just going to tighten until we break something, and then we'll know. And then we know that if we break something, we can just cut rates back to zero and start doing QE, and that'll fix the problem. This, this has been the remedy for the last 12 years, by the way. So it looks like this is going to be the, the, the medicine, so to speak, going ahead. But let me just read to you a little bit from the, the Wall Street Journal. We are very close to a good point, and then we'll let the economy tell us how long to keep rates high. This was Cleveland Fed President Loretta Meister. She said in an interview on Saturday that summed up the two days of presentations, discussions, and di dinner table conversation and hiking. Kristen Forbes, a professor at Massachusetts Institute of Technology, compared the job-facing central bakers to hiking a mountain where the trail disappears above the tree line. 
you know where you want to go, you know where the summit is, but there are no more markers and you have to feel your way. And even though you've covered most of the distance, that can be the hardest part. It's steeper, steeper and rockier. Again, this is just reconfirmation that the Federal Reserve has really just fully admitted they have no idea what they're doing at this point. All they know how to do is hike rates until you get there. Where is there? They don't know. They told you that. We're going to have to hike rates until we get to somewhere. <laughs> and when we get there, we'll know. So again, you know, this doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. But what it did tell the markets over the weekend is that probably the Fed is closer to stopping hiking rates than not. And that if they stop hiking rates, then obviously the next move will be to cut rates because why will they stop hiking rates? Because something broke, right? And so then rate cuts right around the corner. So that gave a little bit of buoyancy to the markets on Friday, had a nice rally. So after the speech, the market sold off initially and then began rallying into the end of the day as the markets kind of processed that, that bit of knowledge and saying, okay, oh, this is, this, this is what this means. And so, again, and this morning, futures are pointing up a bit. Dow's up about 90 points this morning. S&P is going to be up 7, 8, 9 points this morning at the open. You know, I think the, the, there are still plenty of risk, right? And even though markets are performing well for now, it have been for the last five months, obviously, there's still risk as we get into the next year. Now, again... Over the next three, four months, don't be surprised if markets continue to do okay. There's nothing really on the horizon right now that are signaling a very sharp downturn in the economy. Now, this is the trick with economic data. Data can be really strong this month, and then two months from now, they revise all this data, and it's terrible. So right, right now, as an example, the Atlanta Fed, which does the GDP now, they currently have GDP for quarter three pegged at 5.9%. Now, that's nominal growth, but that's 5.9% annualized growth in the economy in quarter three. That's pretty strong growth. Now, where's all that money coming from? Where's all that growth coming from? Well, it's obviously coming from the Inflation Reduction Act. We've had a lot of, of money flowing into construction, manufacturing projects, etc., that are all funded by that. We've had, of course, liquidity going other places as well. So that $1.7 trillion showing up in the economy, you're getting a boost in the, in, in the economics. But there's a lot of other sides of that economic data that aren't as strong, right? Um, as we talked about in the open, right? Macy's, Dick's, Lowe's, talking about weakness with the consumer. Yeah, Target said the same thing, but they have their own issues relating to choices. Bud Light, same way. But companies that weren't involved in the culture wars, obviously starting to show signs of consumer weakness as well. So there's certainly impacts to the economic data that three, four, five months from now, when we start getting revised economic data out, we're going to look back and go, oh, well, it really wasn't as strong as we thought it was. Or you're going to have some point where all of a sudden just something kind of falls off a cliff. And that'll be kind of that moment that we recognize that the Fed has now hiked rates enough to cause economic deterioration. See, that's been the one, this is the one problem for the Fed is, is that 
The Fed's hiking rates into this environment that has been flooded with repeated bouts of liquidity and artificial stimulus and moratoriums on payments, etc. So, you know, you're kind of sailing with the wind right now. It's like, oh, yeah, we're hiking rates because we, we want to slow the economy. But there's so much momentum behind the economy because of all this, these liquidity actions and, and, and programs, etc., that it's just kind of all running through the system at one time. And so you're, you're, you know, it's kind of like a car heading downhill and you're putting on the brakes and, you know, the car's not slowing as fast as you would expect it to because of the moment, momentum of the car heading down the hill. And so this is, this is going to be the challenge. All of a sudden, though, when the car gets to the bottom of the hill, it stops very quick, right? And that's going to be the issue with the economies at some point. Don't know when. Could be six months from now, a year from now, wherever that is. All of a sudden, you'll get to the bottom of this momentum-driven push, and it'll stop. Unless you have something else coming into the system. Unless you have some other type of program, some other type of spending. And look, that's always a possibility. One thing that, that Congress loves to do, spend money. <clears throat> and they want to make their constituents happy. So those constituents, who funds their campaigns? Corporations. So if you want to keep the companies happy, spend more money. All right. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit uh, salty this morning. <laughs> I woke up out of a really good sleep by the alarm clock. All right. Be right back after the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com so one thing to kind of keep a watch on right now in terms of the markets and really kind of the economy everything else look i mean there's there's so many things that are brewing around okay so first of all let's just step back for a moment markets are doing fine um august was sloppy we had a a very normalized correction nothing was dramatic about the sell-off we didn't have like a day where the market was down five percent right you know didn't have anything outside the norm it was just kind of a drift lower right so just a normal correction within the markets now look nobody likes market declines right nobody likes that right nobody likes looking at their portfolio and there's red on it but we had five straight months of advances mostly driven by seven stocks but nonetheless five straight months of advances so the the correction in the market and we had talked about this kind of all through the month of july that you know, you're going to have a correction of 3 to 5% in the market. It's entirely normal for that to happen with any given year. And it was needed, right? You can't have the market just go up month after month after month after month, right? I mean, just as we talked about before, moving averages are like gravity. So the further the moving averages get away from the moving averages, you're eventually going to get a pullback. So we got this pullback. 
And of course, you know, headlines are now like, oh my God, when's the sell-off ever going to stop? Is it, is it over yet? Yeah, it's, it's getting pretty close to being over. And we're going to get another rally. Now, none of that has anything to do with what happens in the market six months from now or nine months from now or a year from now. Because those are dependent upon big macro events, economics, earnings, most importantly. Earnings drive market prices. So as long as expectation for earnings are rising, then stock prices should rise along with those earnings expectations. And right now, earnings expectations are rising. Now, I will tell you that estimates for 2024 are coming down. Just in the last month, they're down about $3 a share. So again, not surprising. Everybody gets all exuberant up front, and they really they put the numbers way out there. Then they start tailoring them down. This is why they're always about thirty percent higher than where we wind up. So from the first estimate to where you end up is about a thirty percent differential on average. So that's already starting as people are beginning to factor in weaker economic growth going into twenty twenty two. But there's that's just kind of the normalcy of things, right? But what if there's something else that really causes a problem, right, that really drags on the economy? Well, one of the things is China. China has a lot of impact on the U.S. in terms of imports and exports, um, liquidity, finance, technology. China has, you know, uh, talking about NVIDIA as an example, right? So NVIDIA builds chips. Um, if you take a look at NVIDIA's earnings, most of their earnings were pretty much as expected. Some areas were down. Gaming revenue was up, you know, uh, computer graphic cards, those were up a bit. But the data centers is where all the revenue came from. That was up 121%, right? So that was the entire driver. That one segment of their business was the entire driver of their massive revenue push. China makes up about 20 to 25% of that, depending on the quarter, which is that data center piece. So if you take a look at their growth rate of 121%, China made up 20, 25% of that. Now, this is important because China's got some problems going on right now, right? Real estate issues. Uh, Evergrande started trading this morning at an 85% discount to, to previous trades. So that is going to have an impact on their economy. Throw on top of that, of course, the Biden administration eyeing new curbs on China and their ability to access critical technology. That includes restricting the sale of high-end chips, the ones that NVIDIA makes, to power AI platforms. So if China makes up 20 to 25% of NVIDIA's revenue, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, by the way. Okay, I'm just saying these are the things that are out there that could upend the Apple cart. And all of these more ambitious price targets for the market will have to come down. So if the Biden administration 
puts curbs on China and their ability to access high-end chips like the one that NVIDIA makes, that's obviously going to impact NVIDIA's earnings. Now, whether that happens or not, I have no idea. But they have a business that has a very wide moat to it. And right now, if anybody's building AI, they have to buy, build the chips from, from, uh, buy the chips from NVIDIA, whether it's Microsoft or Amazon or Google or anybody else. So even if China is shut off, that may impact their earnings somewhat. But there's still plenty of other business for them, right? So people are still going to be willing to pay up for that stock because of the growth rate of earnings. But my point is simply this, is and, and, and don't, don't run out and short NVIDIA because we're talking about the China thing. My, my point is this, is that there are things that are out there that could cause a problem with the most bullish, optimistic outlooks. Now, again, as I told you before, the fact that we're talking about the curbs on China and... Uh, restricting access to NVIDIA, those type of things. Just because we're talking about that now will also mean, look, I'm not the first person to know this, right? This is, this is fairly common knowledge of what's going on, which means the market is already adjusting for this, right? Part of that sell-off after NVIDIA's earnings on Friday and then, you know, uh, sorry, on Thursday and then again on Friday. That's all related to potentially repricing, saying, okay, well, they had a blowout number last quarter, but the ability to do that again next quarter is likely going to be impeded because of the situation with China. See, that's already getting priced in. This is what we talk about, pricing in news. And so this isn't going to be the thing that brings down the market. My point is that there are things that are out there that are brewing that the market has not fully accounted for yet. And they could show up in six or seven or eight months and then begin to weigh on earnings estimates. So if earnings estimates really start to decline, that's going to bring down the valuation of the market. In other words, prices have to decline to adjust for valuations. So this is this is why we talk about all this stuff. You know, and it's it's important that, you know, while right now the market's corrected in August, again, that was completely normal, right? You knew that was going to happen. That's just a function of time, function of math more than anything else. Uh, you know, and so that correction was completely expected, completely normal. So you know, now you've got an opportunity, a much better entry opportunity if you want to add money to your portfolio. This is a better time to do it than it was a month ago. You know, investors always buy tops and sell bottoms. And we see this going on right now because everybody was all bulled up in July. Now nobody wants to buy anything. And this is when you should be buying something. Is this the bottom of the correction? I don't know. But my point is that a month ago, when markets are ringing all-time highs for the year, people couldn't wait to go buy more stuff. Now they don't want to buy anything because they think the market's going down. See, that's the psychology of investors. That's why it's always backwards. Stuff that you wanted to buy a month ago is cheaper now. If it's still a good quality company, it's a better buy now than it was a month ago. Your risk-reward entry point is a much better uh, value right now for the overall market. It's still not great valuation-wise, but it's better than it was a month ago. And so as investors, we have to take opportunities when they come, but we also need to have this outlook and understand that these are things. there are things that are out there that could derail the markets, right? 
we know that interest rates from the Federal Reserve are going to impact economic growth at some point down the road. We know that. That is just a function of time. But how much time is the problem? Markets can do irrational things in the short term, as we saw at the beginning of this year. Nobody was expecting a five-month rally. But it happened. Nobody's expecting a recession now, which increases the odds that you can actually have one. I know that seems counterintuitive, but that's the way things work. If everybody expects something to happen, that generally doesn't happen. When nobody expects something to happen, there's an odds on bet that that'll be the thing that happens. So these are the things to be thinking about as we move into September. Now, September tends to be a weak month historically, but September tends to not be as weak when you have a weak August, which we did. October, November, December tend to be better months. Again, there's a decent probability that we're going to get a rally into the end of the year because performance chasing. A lot of portfolio managers need to play catch-up for the year. They get their performance on the books, make sure they have the right stocks. Next year, is a, it's a coin toss. What turns out to be the case? A lot of it will depend on the economic data. Does it begin to improve? Does the manufacturing data begin to improve? Do we have strong retail holiday sales? Does the consumer really just you know kind of ramp up their spending into the end of the year? Those are things that we just don't know. But we'll find out, I mean, right? All right. My point is simply just kind of don't get wrapped up in the hype, right? Just pay attention to what's going on. You'll do better. All right, be right back after the break. Don't go away. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com so over the last few years um yeah, it's been that long. A few years, right? More than two. That would be two years. A couple, right? So now we're into few. Three. Just had to go back and count. This is 2023, right? Time flies. I'm, you know, as I'm getting older, it is just... The floor is getting further away and time is flying faster. I, you know, this is a cruel joke by the man upstairs. That's, that's, that's all I'm saying. You know, and when I'm having to do something I really don't want to do... It just, the day just drags on forever. And then when I'm actually getting to spend a few minutes doing what I want to do and like enjoy myself, it's like day's over. Time to get up and go back to work. <laughs> just not fair, I'm telling you. Anyway, so over the last few years, um, 
I've been writing articles on ESG and the, the nonsense behind ESG. And look, and, and, and before you start sending me emails saying, well, the environment's important, that is, okay? If you want to save the environment, go plant a tree. That will save your environment. Why? Trees process CO2. It's not complicated. Um, so this is... You know, uh, you know, but but ESG is a function, and we talked about you know the the impact. You can't measure ESG for companies. You can't. There's no fundamental metrics when it comes to investing, and and when it comes to investing, importantly, all you're doing is trading shares. I'm buying shares from Brent. I give him my cash. He gives me his shares. That has nothing. To, the the company doesn't know that transaction ever occurred. These shares are held in street name at every major brokerage firm. So if you look into your brokerage account as an example. And you own shares of Apple. They are not in your name at Schwab or Fidelity or wherever else. It's called held in street name. So the shares are just registered out there and you own them and they're in your account, but they're, they don't have your name on them. You know, as a, as a, to make a, to make a, a, a point of this, right? If I start, if Brent and I start a company, right, an LLC, or a C-Corp, doesn't matter. And we both fund it with $1,000. Now, I'd probably have to lend Brent the $1,000, but, you know, we would both fund it with $1,000. Then we would issue share certificates to ourselves that says, Lance owns 50 shares, Brent owns 50 shares, and it would have his name on it. So Brent would have a certificate that said, Brent Clanton, 50 shares of ownership in the ABC company. That doesn't happen with publicly traded companies. They're held in street name. They're not in your name. They're in street name. What we call this, the term we call street name. So they can be actively traded because otherwise we have to re-register. If, if, if Brent sold his shares to me, then we have to go re-register the whole shares that there was. And, and that's just too much trouble. It would impede the process of, of the markets working. So you don't actually own any of the shares. They're in street name. They're just held in your account. Okay. So when you do something, buy or sell shares on the open market, all you're doing is swapping cash for a digital registration of, of these shares. The company doesn't know that that transaction occurred. So they're not making, and my point is, they're not making any decisions about their environmental, social, or governance issues based on your transaction. So this is why ESG makes no sense and hasn't. But everybody pushing this agenda is now all upset because one of the leaders of the whole ESG movement was BlackRock, and we've banged on them numerous times previously because this was a money grab by ESG, epic greenwashing. But now they're all upset because the number of ESG ideas that BlackRock, now remember, BlackRock owns $10 trillion of assets, so they have, they have, vote, they have big voting blocks in all these companies they own within their $10 trillion of assets that they manage. So when the companies vote on these ESG ideas, BlackRock is supposed to be voting for them, right? Because they're the big promoters of ESG. Well, of course, Larry Fink has been under fire. They've been, a, they've been shunned by a lot of pension companies and pension funds. And of course, that's extracting assets from the company which lowers the compensation for Mr. Fink, which he doesn't like that, makes less money. So not surprisingly, 
BlackRock has been voting for a lot fewer ESG proxy votes. In other words, people are proposing stuff on these companies, you know, the, the, these ESG ideas, and BlackRock has not been voted for. In fact, they went from a 47% vote down to about, a, about voting for about 7% of them. Lots of reasons. A lot of these are redundant. A lot of them are stupid. <laughs> and so they shouldn't vote for them. But this has not been a great idea. And look, these companies that have been involved in, heavily involved in, these whole ESG environmental movements are not doing well. And what did we say before? We said that ultimately money chases performance. And back in the 90s, we did gambling, alcohol, and tobacco and pornography. Don't invest in those companies. And those were the best performing companies during the dot-com crash because they were making money. And so people said, hey, pff, my dot-com stocks are losing money. I'm going to buy something that's making money. And so they were putting money in tobacco, gambling, et cetera, because those were doing well. And so that's the situation that you have going on now. Disney. Trading at a nine-year low. Anheuser-Busch has been under attack. Target. All these companies that have been involved in these environmental social governance issues paying the price because that's not what their consumer base really wants. And again, who, who buys products, right? It's consumer base. Of course, if you don't make good movies, as a good example... When was the last time there was a really good movie you wanted to go see at, at the theater, right? Theater attendance is down 50% since the pandemic. So, I mean, it never recovered. And this is, so we're past the pandemic. People aren't running around, no masks, no vaccines, et cetera. Theater attendance hasn't recovered because it's not that people won't go to the movies. It's just there's nothing really worth going to see. Especially now, if I can just wait, I can rent it at home and watch it on my big screen television, right? So... Even less of a reason. So if I really want to get market share, they have to do that. And the reason I'm picking on Disney this morning is because my, so my oldest son, who lives in the UK, um, he was in for a couple of months because he's uh, had to come back home to the United States while he got his student visa realigned for his mechanical engineering degree. So he had to come home and go through the whole Oh, yeah. Other oh, by the way, other countries actually have an immigration process, just by the way. So he's in this process. We had to come home for a few months, get his visa realigned so that he could have a student work visa and then go back to the UK to go to college. So while he was here, he's my stepson, by the way. He's my son, but he's actually my stepson. I, I call him my son, but... He's technically my stepson. So he, he went with his, his actual dad to Florida to go to Disney. And they were having a family vacation over there. So, so he went with them. And he came back and he said, that, he says, it was an amazing trip. Hotter than hell. But it was an amazing trip. Because he, he loves, he is a huge fan of roller coasters. He just loves roller coasters. It's, I, I don't know why. I hate roller coasters personally, but he loves them. He's like, man, he says, he says Dad, I could, I could, 10 minutes, I could just literally walk up to any roller coaster, 10, 15 minutes, I was on the roller coaster. I just rode roller coasters all day long. This is Disney. He had gone about 
two years ago before he left for the UK. Three years ago now. So about three years ago, he went with his dad. And the wait times were like two and three hours. Right? Down to 15 minutes. And I thought it was interesting because he was telling me this whole story. I was like, wow, this is, this is, that's, that's, really, that's really crazy. And over the weekend, an article was out. Disney has learned the lesson of the hard way of a string of major box office failures to at least a tune of $1 billion in losses this year, along with their stock down to nine-year lows. Disney park attendance, and this is, this is my anecdotal evidence, right? Disney park attendance is also thinning dramatically with wait times down from 47 minutes to 27 minutes on peak days. The company is now considering selling off assets to stay afloat with Amazon and talks to purchase a stake in the ESPN streaming. So again, you know, this is, so these, these are the things, right? It's, you got to know your customer, know who you're selling to and know who has the money, <laughs> especially when you talk about the cost of going to Disney. It ain't cheap, right? I mean, ticket prices alone are expensive, but then just the cost of, you know, the travel, the hotel, everything else, it's really expensive. You know, just not anybody can just say, hey, let's go spend a week in Disney and go pack it up and go. Right. I mean, it's 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 you it's not cheap. And you're going to the theaters. Right. It's, you know, take a family of four to the theater. That's not cheap. You're going to be spending over one hundred dollars. By the time you put it all together to take a family of four to the theater, you know, and, and just eating out now. Right. Has become excruciatingly expensive. The cost of, of food and, and things that just to go out to eat has just become increasingly expensive. You know, so companies are, are going to have to realign themselves back to doing business. But this whole ESG thing, it was a money grab to begin with. And thank goodness it's dying its slow, inevitable death. Just like sin stocks died their death during the dot-com crisis. ESG is finally going the way of the ghost. Needs to. Has nothing to do with saving the environment. If you want to save the environment, that's awesome, right? I'm all with you if you want to save the environment. Let's go plant some trees. I'll, I'll get out there with you. Arbor Day right around the corner. We'll go plant some trees. But this ESG stuff, when it comes to investing, leave that alone. Take that out as part of your investment thesis. Not a good place to be. All right. Wrap up the show for today. Be back tomorrow. More of the Real Investment Show. Get by the website. Uh, we've got an article tomorrow on missing the 10 best days. I have to write this article about once a year because there's always nonsense out in the media about it. I, I had to do it again tomorrow. So that article will be out tomorrow on the website, first thing in the morning. Have a great day. Realinvestmentadvice.com. See you tomorrow.